Welcome to Gen Z Hoops, the Gen Z basketball coaching and sports business show. On this podcast, you'll learn from professional players, coaches, and executives from all over the world and see the court in a brand new way. And now, joining you courtside, your Gen Z host, John Hartafillis. Hey, boss, what's going on? Hey, John, good to have you. I mean, <laughs> good to be on. You're used to being on the other side of this, used to being in my chair and, and interviewing yeah. other people. Yeah, it happens, it happens <laughs> yeah. to me all the time, all the time. But no, boss, I mean, so excited to have you on. I mean, we've been, it's been awesome getting to know you over the last few weeks. I'm in the Global Stars basketball class and just really excited to get to obviously dive into all the things we've learned and all the things you've been up to. Yes, sir. That's what I'm passionate about, spreading out the knowledge, spreading out the experience that I had and what I learned from the other coaches and from other players. Awesome. So just to give our listeners a, an idea about you, can you kind of walk us through when you first started getting into this whole, into basketball, coaching, all like, what, what did that originally look like for you? I was playing uh, junior pro in Russia, and then I knew that the only way for me to advance and play in professionally will be to go to states, to go to college, because I'm 5'10", 5'11". At that time, I was not a good shooter. Actually, I was a terrible shooter. And so if you have someone of that size who cannot shoot the ball, there's got to be something special for the coaches or for the agents in Russia who would be interested in me. And so I knew if I go to states, there will always be an opportunity for me to train extra. And so it will help my growth. And so by the time I got to college, I was already 22, 21. And by then I was only training a lot. And by the time I started playing professionally, I was always trying to do either some classes or either clinics for the kids whenever I had a day off or maybe take one or two young players who would play in a junior team or who would be playing on the same pro team, but maybe they're like six years younger than me and start kind of like mentoring them because this was something that uh, I wish I had when I was playing, just so I, I could have someone whom I can come and ask the questions. And it just all started from there and it snowballed to a point where by the time I was finishing up um, playing in Ecuador back in November 2016, uh, I already had maybe 10 professional players that I've been working And so after I came from Ecuador, uh, I already had an offer from one of the pro players who was rehabbing after ACL injury. And he wanted me to be his personal coach for the next couple of months to make sure he gets back on the court within the same season. Awesome. So then once you got to the States, what did that all, I mean, are you, are you kind of working more with individuals, more with teams? What did, what did that all look like for you when you first got here? You mean as a coach? Yeah, yeah, as a, as a coach, yeah. So uh, I was working as a personal coach for Aaron Jackson. He's a 2016 EuroLeague champion. Uh, he has been, he's been playing overseas on EuroLeague low for the last 10 years or so. And this year he's he's actually taking a year off uh, or he might be retiring, I'm not sure. Hopefully not yet, but I was with him during two seasons. And so in season we would be in China because he was playing for Beijing Ducks. And during the off season, he lives in Tampa, Florida. 
And so I would travel to Florida to make sure we're still working during the off season and he's still getting not only prepared for the season, but also improving at what he can do better. For sure. And I'm curious when you're, when, when you're doing all of this, um, what, what are your, how do you do your best in motivating these guys? What, what is your key to when you, when you have all these different players from all these different levels too, it's not just, a, it, it's a people from all over. How do you find it's best for you to try to motivate them in the best way you can? To me, it doesn't really look that, that difficult because once you set the goals up, once you show the goals to each of the players, and usually the goals are pretty high because everyone expects to play in the next level. Everybody wants to play in the EuroLeague national team or NBA. And when you show the goals and you're talking to a player, okay, so if you want to do, if you want to play here, you have to do this and this and this. Let's talk with one of the younger players. He's 16. And I'm telling him, okay, if let's say, uh, you're still senior next year in college and you'll have four years in college. I mean, you're a senior in high school and you'll have four years in college. So it gives you five years. And in five years, there are still chances for you to make it to the NBA, even if you're going to be undrafted or if you're going to be 60th pick or you'll sign through Exhibit 10. But these five years that you have, can either increase the chances that you already have or decrease. And so five years, that's 60 months. And if you take one small step every one month out of 60, and it won't even count the days out of those 60 months, then there are just plenty of opportunities that you can see daily. And so when you give such details to player, he or she really understands, okay, that's really what I'm passionate about. I'm ready to embrace the challenge and go 100%. If no, then it means that I may not be that person who will be able to help you. That's great. And thinking about how you have a plan and doing all that. And actually, before we get into everything with you and all, all, all the ways in which you train your players, um, what, I'm curious, just to give everyone an idea, what, what's your role with, with Global Stars basketball, the class, and, and, and kind of what you're doing there, meeting Coach Fox, no, Nick Lagos, how, how did that all work out? How, how did it all happen? So I met Nick when I visited South Bay practices. Uh, I think it was already three years ago. Wow, time, time really flies. And so we just had uh, conversations and he was saying that he was interested in international basketball and that he was, he was thinking about doing camps and we figured out that we had the same mindset of growing the basketball culture and just helping the kids, help, helping the international kids to come to US, to maybe go to college, maybe play in high school and vice versa to the American ones to learn more about different basketball cultures in the world. And so us having the same mindset, we just decided to create a Global Stars Basketball and first camp that we did, actually, we only did one so far. Uh, it was in Austria in 2019, and I didn't go there. It was all Nick and the other coaches, but that's, that, was, that was the first camp that we did. And obviously, last year, we didn't do nothing because of pandemic, 
but we still have the plans for this year. Hopefully we can cover up a couple of the countries. No, super cool to think about all that. And, and obviously it's it start, starting uh, Global Stars Basketball in the midst of the pandemic and everything going on made it very difficult. Um, how, what has that done to, uh, how much do you think has that raised the amount of time you spend uh, with film study? Um, obviously a lot of the stuff we do in class is all based around watching film because because we're especially uh, being virtual. Um, mm-hmm. But how, 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 how has your training kind of adapted to where you used to be in the gym all these hours every day to now where you're doing a lot of these virtual sessions and, and virtual coaching sessions? It's still kind of the same as just um, me now being in Russia. We're almost back to normal where we, we're training inside. And we've been training inside for the last since, I think, since summer. So there were only uh, April and May were the months where we would have a complete lockdown. And so April, May was a little bit different. And I would have to adjust. And that was the time when actually I started doing the live interviews with the other coaches or do live workouts with the players. And the goal was the same, just like I told you in the beginning, that when I was playing professionally, I would try to find a kid that I, that I could mentor. Through those live talks and live workouts, I saw that it is just an opportunity to show to maybe a young player who wants to play in college or to a young player who wants to play professionally in the future to show that, okay, that's the work that we're doing with the pros right now. They're also in the lockdown. They're also staying home, but that's what, you, what we're doing. And if you want to be like them, you should just see what they do and try to at least try to do the same. And it was the same with, uh, with the coaching talks. If you're a coach who's trying to help as many players as he, as he can get to the next level, then there is no reason why you shouldn't listen to all the different podcasts or clinics that were during the pandemic if you want to get better and actually uh when the whole pandemic started me and nick we had an idea of doing uh, something like a virtual summit and first it was wanted to create like just a small summit with maybe seven eight coaches and it ended up we did it in june last year and it ended up having I think there were 23 coaches or something like that, including Nick. And I didn't even have the opportunity to speak because that was already uh, late June. We had off-season workouts in Russia. I would have six workouts a day. I would have to run one of the clinics uh, to be like the person who asking questions and to be the host. And so it, there were more than 20 coaches who would speak, including coach George Carl. And so that was awesome experience. And you actually, you can still find those, uh, those clinics online if you just type in Global Stars Basketball Summit on YouTube. I was watching a bunch of them last night, actually. They were really, really good. And oh, obviously, nice. the, the, the break, I mean, the, the, the names I was seeing, I was like, oh my God, I kept, because I, 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 I remember seeing, that's how I I'd found you originally months ago when I was looking up uh, Coach Fox and all those guys and I, I'd seen the content there. But that's super cool thinking about all the stuff Global Stars is doing. And you, you had mentioned it too about kind of just what you guys are doing and how you guys are getting guys better. And um, we've put a lot of an emphasis on like on, on putting players at a disadvantage in their workouts and not making it so, so, um, and, and kind of keeping it simple 
but still putting them at a mm-hmm. disadvantage when training instead of making it super, super easy. I mean, kind of that progressive overload and making things uh, better as you go along. How do you incorporate um, putting players at a disadvantage into your workouts and, and what successes do you see there? Mm-hmm. So uh, one thing, and I'll actually send uh, send the, li- the link to our group chat on that, on progressive overload, but whew, I'm trying to make sure that the training is not very difficult, where it looks complicated. It looks like we're doing something really flashy. But at the same time, I want to make sure that players' minds is fully engaged, because even, even if there's no defense, because uh, if you take a look at the pictures that are taken during the games, the faces of players are usually like, like that, or the person is trying to pass the ball to the post. He's kind of like way too focused sometimes. And so me watching players' facial expressions during the practices makes me think how, how I can make their task more difficult uh, without adding a defender. So just, just like we talked uh, yesterday in a class uh, about your situation where the players will start putting the ball in the floor right away as soon as they catch. Uh, and I told you that what, what can be done is simply a player has to, it's, it's a mandatory, a player has to make a jab before he's allowed to do anything else. Just something like that can uh, embrace somebody's feeling, uh, some, somebody's thinking. And so you may build a habit where a player knows that, okay, whenever I'm catching the ball, I know that there's no need for me to bounce it right away. I can first look up and don't use that dribble. And there's actually a great, great quote. I don't remember who said that. I think it was Jerome Randall. She, uh, he said, use the dribble. Don't let the, don't let the dribble use you. And so that's, <laughs> that's perfect explanation like that. of that. And um, actually another thought on training um, and whenever my goal is to help as many players as I can, but I'm sure there's going to be a time when I'll be a head coach and me watching different practices of other coaches and thinking what uh, I would do a little bit differently to make the practices more efficient uh, would be making those drills where you go in five and oh. Uh, making them more challenging. And by saying that, what I would do is um, imagine, you know, that 10 out of 12 players that you have on the team, all of them are right-handed and all 10 of them are right-hand dominant, meaning if they drive it in the paint, they'll always go right. They'll always shoot with the right hand. Even if that's on the left side of the, of the basket, they will always try to use the right hand. And so when you're running, when you're going through the, plays five and oh you can simply put a task where a player cannot shoot in the paint with his dominant hand and everything should be with with the weak hand then whenever you go in five and oh instead of just making like you know the layups where the players are looking kind of like too cocky they're so confident they're so so relaxed instead of having that they'll they'll go up and they'll have that facial expression where they're like oh man Oh, oh man, left hand. Oh, oh, oh. And so this is actually what will happen in a game when you're driving to the basket, you're driving right. And then suddenly the defender is jumping towards your outside hand, which is right hand. And you're like, oh man, I'm about to be blocked. And that's going to be the time when you can switch or do something. And so I would, when I'll be the head coach, uh, I would play around that a lot. 
even if we talk simple transition drill like two on one, three on two, I would add something like that there too. For example, if I see players who are not utilizing the glass, then in those drills, I'll ask them to use the glass only. So if you're, let's say me and you are those types of players who would always shoot like high floaters and don't know how to use a glass, then if the coach tells us, okay, next time we're doing this drill, you must use the glass. If you don't use a glass, the point the points won't be counted. And so now me and you were thinking, okay, if I'm right on the top and the, ba the basket is right in front of me, that's not a good angle for me to shoot off the glass. I would want it to be, I would want to move a little bit more to the side, closer to a 45 degree angle, just so I'll have a better position to use the glass. And so it will make me adjust my thinking. And whenever I'm driving, I'll be thinking, oh, okay, now this is not a good position for my shot. Now this is a better position for a shot. And so when that happens in a game, when that happens in practice, when there is no defense, and that's what's going on in your mind. When the game is coming, you may have a better shot selection because you know, oh, okay, the defender is right in front or you're attacking, you see the health side coming. Ooh, I got to go a little bit, two more feet to the left just to have a better angle. And so I think if, uh, if we can improve a little bit, just simple team drills like that, um, players can benefit from it. I love that in terms of decision making and, and, and promoting that through through drilling it. Um, I think that's awesome. Uh, and, and a lot of the things that you told us about were concerning whether it's um, do, another way that you, you told us we could we could do this on top of those drills, visual signals, audio signals. And there were a lot of yeah, yeah. unique, new, unique nuances as to how you do that. And I was really I mean, that, that was, I think, our first class. And I was I was I went, I went through from that with my, with my notes and they were like multiple pages because that I was I was everything you were saying about visual and audio, audio auditory stuff I was so interested in that that was I thought that was so super helpful so you kind of tell us like how how you with an example of sometimes how you would use those and like and why one would be better than the other in a certain situation hmm I can just give a simple simple idea for the drill let's say you're uh you're on the wing you're with the ball and you have a screen coming at the top and so when coming off the screen at the top uh i'll be let's say you're coming from the right wing going to the top and i'll be in the left corner then whenever you go going through the screen if i'm if my hands are down you're pulling it up if my left hand is up you drive into the left if my right hand is up you drive into the right and so this is gonna it may not be exactly the game like because in a game, you won't be looking in the corner and see who's raising the hand and what you're attacking. But your thought process can be similar to what's going to happen in a game because you have a couple of the signs where, let's say you're coming off the screen, you see the help side coming. Okay, you go in a different direction or you're passing the ball. And similarly, if you, if you don't see the help side coming or the help side is too late, you may be able to pull up. Help side coming too close, you'll be able to drive. And so to me, this is something that can transfer through these drills. And then the ideas can be totally different. For example, you can look in my eyes. Whenever you're going through the screen, you can look at my eyes. If I'm looking left, with the eyes only. If I'm looking left, you're attacking left. If I'm looking right, you're attacking right. If I'm looking down, you have one drill pull up. If I'm looking up, you just stop and shot. And this is just something 
that's just a small detail where player has to to react visually to what I'm doing because in games you'll be reacting visually to what the defense is doing and at the same time it's not the energy consuming from the coach too so uh, I came up with it when I had six or eight workouts per day plus my own workout and by eighth workout you're I wouldn't say you're like very tired but you're at the point where you're trying to be in in, in a energy saving mode and so these small tricks can help you uh not to run more because if i'm just showing if you're reacting just to my eyes it doesn't matter if i'm sitting lying on the floor if i'm the main thing i just have to be facing you because if i'm with my back to you you won't be able to see my eyes obviously but i don't have to run and so this is some something that i'm sure every coach can utilize doesn't matter if he's able to to run right now or he's in a position where he can walk but running may not be something that he'll do definitely it's, it's so cool to think about how a small, small ones like that could completely change and make it and make it both both better for the player but also even easier for the coach to to, to yeah. when, when you're having so many workouts in a day and i'm curious too you also mentioned how you how you kind of um, when it comes to layering drills and what that looks like, I mean, it kind of is on the topic of progressive overload, but what does that look like maybe with stuff like this, where you have all these workouts in a day that you're able to still be creative and make them all make and, and tie and tie all the workouts that you're doing with a certain player into each other? So number one thing, it would have to be a lot of planning. And so I'll make sure I plan the workouts, uh, especially plan the first four or five workouts that I have with the player. After that, it's more where... I'm not planning completely the whole workout, but I have kind of like a skeleton. I have a scheme where I'll be able to fill different needs. For example, if we do in shooting off the dribble coming off the screen, uh, if today the screen went, if today in the screen, uh, it was like a drop coverage, then tomorrow we may go through something else or tomorrow it may be double screen and drop coverage just so the idea will remain the same, but the scenario may be a little bit different just so the player won't get bored with doing something every day because right now I have um, I have a player that, uh, that was out for a little bit over a year. And so he's with me for more than a month. And so you can imagine if you're active player, you're 23, you wanna play, but you haven't been playing for the last year if you're just doing some boring stuff, then it may be something where you're just like, where you will get bored. But if five workouts, they are all different, but they all go towards the same goal. This is something that keeping you fresh because your workout number five, you, you've been working out for one and a half hour and last 30 minutes. If you probably know that feeling when you know what drill you're gonna do, you're like, oh man, again, that drill. Oh. Or if you're like, oh, okay, something new. Okay, what I got to do here? What I got to do there? And by getting that attention from the player, I'll also get a little bit more energy from him. Super important to make sure you're getting everything out um, of the workout and make, yeah. making sure you're always keeping it fresh. We haven't really touched on shooting too much. And one of the really interesting quotes that I remember you mentioned during class was Rob Fedor from the Heat, uh, their shooting coach, talking about how you can be better than next rep. So how important is that for you in mm -hmm. thinking that? Like, what, what does that quote mean to you in, in thinking that, 
um, it's, just, it, it's all about repetition and, and, and just, and all this practice. We can, he talk, uh, we've been talking all this time about how all, all these nuances and tricks to, to, to kind of accelerate the process. But at the end of the day, it's consistency and, and really doing this stuff over and over again. What does that, what does that quote mean to you? So first, I'm really thankful for the experiences that I've had as a player, because uh, if I didn't have them, then it would be harder for me to to understand everything that I'm teaching now. Because when I was a player, and I already told you that I was not a good shooter, and shooting was definitely not my strength, the only thing that uh, all the coaches would tell me was I would ask, hey, coach, what do I need to do to shoot better? And 99%, actually, I don't even remember that 1% that, was said some, that has said something different, but it was always, you just have to shoot more. You have to shoot more. And so my freshman year in Mesa Community College in Arizona, we had the gun, the shooting machine. And I could use it before, I think it was before 8.30 a.m. or something like that, before classes. And so four out of seven days, I would definitely come there and use the gun machine before like in 7 a.m. if I see that the gym is open. And so I would shoot at least 500 jumpers every day. Uh, it doesn't matter. The, those were either jumpers or 500 makes. But the thing was during that year, I didn't really see big of a difference in my jump shot. I maybe got better, but that much better so very very little progress and so when I was playing in Mexico it was the same thing uh, I found one or two drills that would give me uh, more confidence but it was still the same it was at the point where I didn't understand the physics I didn't know I didn't know what I'm doing wrong I just knew that okay close your wrist hold the follow-through use your legs that's it where in the reality, it's much more than that. And sometimes you may not even hold the follow through, but the ball will go in and vice versa. If you hold the follow through, but uh, you don't understand the physics, you don't understand how you can apply the energy towards the basket, then the shot may not go in. Doesn't matter if you close the wrist and hold the follow through or no. And so knowing all that, only by the time when I started coaching and then later by the time when I had a chance to uh, meet with Rob and to have plenty of, of conversations with him when uh, I lived in Miami last year for two months. Uh, that was the time when you know, he showed me different examples where you can improve your shooting without really changing much, just by changing a little detail. And so to me, that quote that you can be a better shooter the next rep is really something that I felt on my own, but I felt it after I stopped playing and I'm already coaching. And so it's funny to say, but right now I'm a much better shooter than I was when I was playing. And so I'm a much better shooter when I'm practicing one hour a day on the court rather than when I was practicing five, six hours a day as a player. And so this just gives you an idea that quantity is good, but if the quantity will be lower, but the quality will be higher, then you'll get more results. Definitely, and, and it, it definitely did come a little late, but at, at least now you're able to give that all that all that knowledge over to your players, which is really, which yeah. is really awesome. Um, and I'm thinking just one last question I think we'll have a lot of fun with. I'm curious, and, and you can, I mean, I, I feel like this is gonna be a really a mm -hmm. great, long answer. 
What's the biggest misconception that you see about, about skill training? And I know we could take this so many different ways, but if you, were to, if you were to think about what's something that you always hear people kind of refer to your job as, that it just, it, it's just the furthest thing from the truth, um, what, would you, what, would you, what would you pick? Uh, the biggest misconception to me is the details, because sometimes you, if you have 10 things that you should pay attention to, it's going to be hard for you to focus on one. And so try to, with the details, try to focus on maybe two small things that will help you to get to the next level. And then by the time you master them, you can add, you can add two more. And just if you can prioritize, if you, if you, uh, if you can figure out what makes the biggest difference, that's going to be the detail that you should focus your attention more instead of just saying, okay, there are four details on the shot, there are three details on driving, and there are two details on your finish. So that's eight details. And imagine we're doing, uh, we're doing something where you have to react on my signal and you have to either drive or shoot, and, or let's say you have to drive and shoot or finish. And so by you reacting to me, you're already waiting for my signal. You still have to keep in mind eight more details. So that's too much. That's, that's too overloaded. So instead, if you can have only maybe two details total that you can focus on within a certain period of time, then there was going to be higher chances that you can, you can improve. And um, I'm getting to that just by having conversations with uh, with former players who've been with players like Samaki Walker, who would give his experiences, uh, what he saw when he was watching Kobe work, where Kobe could work on just like on some small detail on simple jab. And he would say, man, can you imagine Bossy? Kobe was not even shooting for one hour. He was just doing like catch the ball in the mid post, turn around, jab, one dribble, kind of like go up like you're trying to shoot. And then he would just go back. He's like, can you imagine what patience you got to have just so for one hour, you're simply working on the jab without even shooting. And so when you hearing the stories like that, and when you're talking to the coaches like Rob, like Coach Phil Handy, uh, Gannon, when you're talking to those people, you understand that really simplicity is the key. And if you can master one or two things, then these are going to be the things that can take you to the next level. Instead of you just being a jack of all trades and you're able to do it all, but and on the average level. Of course. And I'm curious too, um, when it comes to a lot of things with maybe like a lot of people call them IG trainers or when people use a lot of equipment and they kind of forget about the details I'm get, getting better and replace those with the flash, right? That we talk about all the time. Um, what, what is that? What does that look mm -hmm. like to you? And how, how do you think it's best to avoid that stuff and focus on having a practice without any, 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 any equipment and just, and going in with a basketball and just, and, and, and running a really good practice. What, what, what's your best advice for for a trainer looking to do that? So number one, uh, advice number one, don't try to judge anyone um, because you may not know the whole situation. So for example, if uh, I'm not the person that likes bolso balls, but for example, today I had a workout with, uh, with a young player he's rehabbing after just after an ankle twist. And so at, on some drills, I figure out that's just way too easy for him. 
to balance on the floor, I'm thinking, okay, how can I add something else? And usually I would put a towel, but we didn't have a towel. And the only thing we had was a bosu ball. So I'm like, okay, if we choose in between nothing and bosu, okay, why not? Let's try bosu for five minutes. And so if you don't know that I, I didn't have nothing else but bosu and you're watching me training, you're saying, oh man, he's doing that the stupid stuff using the bosu. You don't know the situation, uh, why I did it. Maybe I just simply didn't have nothing else. And so if you, uh, if instead of judging what others do, if you can figure out, okay, what you like when somebody was, what you like uh, in what somebody's doing and vice versa, watching somebody train you thinking, okay, this is something that I wouldn't do for sure then it's going to be uh, it's going to be useful for you because if you're judging you won't do a service to yourself and if you're just trying to take something out of it either positive or negative this is something that may change the way you look at things and the way you train other people so that would definitely would be my advice number one and the advice number two is just talk talk the truth if you think that the player uh, won't be able to play some level because of his physical abilities or because of he because he's not committed enough. I don't see no problem by saying it because who's going to tell the player the truth if not you? The parents may not be the ones who are saying, "Oh my my son is so good. My son my son works hard. My son is going 110%." While in reality the kid may not be going even 80%, but the parents will less likely say, hey, you're not working, you're not working to 100%, you have to do better, or you're not a good shooter. But if you as a coach can be that person who tells the truth, then it's going to be easier for the player in the future, because let's say you didn't work hard enough, and by the time you get to college, let's say in college, by the time you get to college, you don't get you don't get a scholarship at Division One level, but you get a scholarship only at like Division Three, and that's academic scholarship. Then, if I've been telling you your whole life that you're working hard, you're good, you deserve to be in the NBA, then it will be shocking for you that you only get Division Three scholarship. But if I tell you that right now you're not working hard enough, you work. I wouldn't even give you a Division Three academic scholarship. You're not you're not working hard enough for that. If I'm saying that to you, then by the time you don't get Division One scholarship, you already know that yeah yeah the coach was right. I was not giving 100% for the last couple of years, and that's the reason why why I didn't get to Division One. But I'm still a Division Two program, and I can I can embrace it now and do my best for the next two years just so I can have a chance to transfer to Division One later. So if you can tell the player the truth, then it will help him in the future. It doesn't matter in the basketball or outside the court. That's so important. And thinking about how, how, when you're talking about um, how you talk to a player and, and getting them ready to both work hard in, in training, but then also get ready for a game, what does the mental preparation side look like and how do you approach really taking that into account almost almost as much or even maybe sometimes even more than you do the physical side i guess that's the main topic i'm i'm covering for the last couple of months because mental preparation is very important to me uh 
Uh, and the reason again was because I experienced it and I went through it. Uh, I was the type of player who was always working hard, but at the same time, I just had a lot of thoughts in my mind. And so I was definitely not the talented one. I was the one who got where I went just through the hard work, not through the talent that I had. And so a lot of times, especially when I was younger, a lot of times when I would get on the court, I would think too much about what's going to happen if I do this, what, what people will think, how many points I need to score. So there were always plenty of thoughts in my head. And what I would ask older players, uh, all they could tell would be, oh, no worries, you'll get it. You'll get through it with experience. And so one year, two years, five years, seven years. And I see that nothing really changes. And only by the time I got to Mexico uh, was the time when I figured out, okay, it's now or nothing. Because in Mexico and in most countries in South America, if you don't produce good numbers for a week, for maybe two, three games, you'll most likely be sent home. And sometimes you may even buy the ticket by yourself. So they may say, all right, we'll drop you at the bus station. Hasta la vista. <laughs> and that's it. And you're like, oh man, what do I need to do? And so um, when I started to play in Mexico, my first game, I had 35 and we played against the best team in the league. And the thing there was, I was like, yeah, 35 in my first game before I didn't do a good job in Belarus. That's definitely a step up. But what I had in my mind was I got 35, but it was kind of like, not lucky, but it was at the point where the first half I was running and I couldn't understand what was happening. My arms were a little bit shaky. I couldn't control my thoughts and everything. And only by that time I realized that, okay, you got to focus more on mental preparation. And actually that was the time when I had a book and this today is actually going to be the first podcast that I, that I prepared and I found the book because I couldn't remember the author. So the book is, the name is An Athlete Guide to Mental Training. The author is Robert Nidefer. I think, I hope I read his last name right. And the book is from 1985. And so the book was already 30 years old. And you can imagine that you're, oh man, you're reading the book that's older than you because I'm 1990. But that was the book that had a lot of practical advice where I could practice different drills that would help me uh, to be right now, to focus on one moment, not to think about the future and not to worry about the past. And this would be the one that I would definitely recommend to the players and also the coaches who are trying to improve their mental game. And the other one would probably be uh, The Way of Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Uh, that's another book that I recommend, especially to players, because it just shows you how important it is to be in the moment that is right now. And the sequence with me was in, 2000, in 2013, I learned about the way of peaceful warrior. I read the book. I understood how to be uh, understood that it's important to be in the moment, but I didn't know how to get to that to that spot when you're when you're right now when you're not focusing about the future or the past and only three years later when i figured out that book uh, an athlete's guide to mental training i figured out the tools that could help me to be in that mental state 
where you're completely focused on what's happening now. So if there are two books that I can recommend on mental preparation to players or the coaches, it will be The Way of Peaceful Warrior and Natalie's Guide to Mental Training. Thank you so much for that. And I'll definitely have both those books in the show notes down below for our listeners to check them out. Um, and it's, it's incredible to think about, especially okay. that book being made in 1985, being that like mental performance really yes. has been it's such a such a hot topic recently. It's crazy to think that someone was thinking about it 35 years ago. Um, really, I, I, I really would have thought that that would, that would be like, like that wouldn't have happened. But it's, it's great to think that at least some people were thinking about that stuff back then, because you always hear about stories about how it's uh, it was always kind of swept into the rug and, and not really appreciated as much until just recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing that I liked about that book was, uh, and even now me going through a lot of books on mental preparation, and there are definitely five books that I love, but most of them are not not giving you the exercises, giving you the drills, what you can do. And so you basically, you're reading about other stories uh, You talk, where people are talking about the moments we're talking about being right now, and you're trying to figure out how you can get to those positions. You're trying to figure out just by yourself. And I was just lucky that I found that book from 1985 because he had practical applications where I would understand, okay, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this to help me to get where I'm at. Because, and there was even, I can't even uh, go through one of the drills uh, I won't go through the first one that I did because that's basically one of the drills that uh, I always mention when people ask me in interviews. But the other one was uh, when you're in the free throw, usually in you talk to Adam Filippi and he had a book on the free throw shooting. Uh, when we would talk with him, he would say that free throw is just a game within the game. It's a free throw game within a basketball game because you have so much time. You have eight seconds at, at the line. And in eight seconds, there are so many thoughts that can come up in your head where you have to learn how to calm yourself down and, and just simply make a shot. And so it was the same for me in Mexico when you would get on the free throw line or maybe you get fouled, you go, the, the team will call timeout, you go for a timeout. And you're thinking, oh, man, I'm about to shoot two free throws. And some games will be outside. Um, oh, man, I'm about to shoot two free throws. Oh, man, it's windy. Oh, man, what I got to do? And you just have so much, so many thoughts in your mind. And that book gave me one simple breathing exercise, some re- uh, simple breathing technique that could help me focus, just focus on what you can control, where it's going to be. Focus on what you can do on your movement instead of the ball getting in in the basket. And so the drill was pretty simple. You just stand where you are. You have to breathe in with your nose for three and hold it for one and breathe out for four. So it's three, one, four. And that breathing numbers, I figured out later, those breathing numbers can be really different just based on your physical state. And I remember sometimes even before the game when it's the warm up and we had a bathroom right across, right across the gym. And so um, there's a warm up 15 minutes before the game. I feel that I can control it. 12 minutes before the game, I'm like shaky again. 
I would just like, I'll just run to the bathroom, just close the door and I'll just be like meditating for one minute. Because if I do that on the court, people will be like, is he crazy? What's, what's happening? But if I just run to the bathroom, act like that I need to go to the bathroom and I'll just do that like that, there in the bathroom for one minute, the court, I feel confident. I'm already focused. I'm focused on the moment. It, it was just one of those simple breathing drills that really helped me get through that. I think, I mean, whatever people think, take the time, meditate. Now you're good to go and you're going to play a great game. And it, it's awesome thinking about, about all that stuff. Um, one, one last thing, I'm, I'm curious, because everyone, whether it's the narrative about mental preparation, like you just said, of people looking at you and saying, what is this guy doing? What would you say? Is, what, what, should, what would you say is the biggest thing that people get wrong when it comes to mental preparation? And that when you talk to them about it, they kind of maybe scoff at it and say, "Really, it's that important?" What do you think that they they kind of undervalue it too much that you really would hope people start to wake up on and see the value in it? I think it may just be the stereotype when, especially if we talk about uh, Eastern European countries, that it's the stereotype that oh, you're an athlete, you're strong, you don't need why you need the somebody to to help you with mental preparation are you are you out of your mind or what are you sick and it just uh if we talk about eastern europe it's more of a stereotype where talking about mental training may be something that they could that can count you as not normal that you're not a normal person and so some people may be shy to admit that yeah i'm really that type of person that thinks too much I need to work on mental preparation more than somebody else. Because at the end of the day, to me, I see uh, basketball development as, if we're talking about just development of a player, I see four, key, four keys there. One is basketball skills, two is basketball tactical skills, three is physical skills, uh, sports performance, including the diet too, just so diet and training. And four is the mental preparation part. So for some people, uh, right when you right when you start doing sports, for some people, mental preparation is not a problem because you know there are players on the team, and I'm sure you have some of those that where one player is thinking too much, and you have to talk a lot with him, while the other doesn't really care if he missed ten shots in a row, he'll definitely shoot the eleventh one, and he won't be worried. Oh man, if I miss this one, he's just pulling it. And so to me, this is uh, one of the important things. If you as a player, if you can uh, figure out which, which of those four, which you need to focus more, then it, it can get you farther in your basketball career. Definitely, it could do so much for you. And, and Basi, thank you so much for coming on because this was honestly amazing. I mean, just the, the last few weeks, I've learned so much from you and just kind of putting it onto this video um, or, or thinking about all the lessons that both you, you've learned through your whole coaching journey it is so inspiring and, and kind of thought-provoking for me. So thank you so much for coming on and I can't wait to see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to Gen Z Hoops. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all major social media platforms at Gen Z Hoops. You can tune in and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other podcast platform on the planet. Get ready for the next episode.